You're listening to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast, episode 23, all about a clear guest connection strategy, so impress me. Welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks, a podcast designed to help you lead with confidence and clarity. These are practical solutions for your ministry that you probably didn't learn in seminary. Now, let's join your host, Seth Muse, before he changes the subject. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast. I am Seth. I'm excited to be here, of course, because I'm always excited. And I have a couple of announcements real quick off the top to uh, let you know about. First of all, Easter is coming, if you didn't know that. So Easter is happening, and that's why we're really talking about guest connections today. Guest connections are a huge part of Easter. You're going to have a lot of visitors, but we'll get to that. So if you haven't quite gotten your Easter plan together for graphics and for your your, uh, social media posts, etc. I've got a great download for you. It's only 49 bucks, but only until March 31st. You can go to ministrydownloads.com. I'll give you a link in the show notes, which can be found at sethmuse.com slash 23. And so I'm going to put that link in the show notes for you. If you'll click that and go there, you'll find a great deal. 49 bucks, you get almost everything you could possibly need to have a really successful Easter. If you're a small church, haven't quite gotten there yet, or you don't have a graphic designer on, on staff, or you don't really know what you're doing, this is a great resource to help you out, to get you set for Easter, to have a really cool environment you can put people in, some great social posts, things that can help people start to invite their friends and get excited about the Easter service and the Easter season, because we're telling an incredible story. We want people to hear that. So we want to do everything we can to reach out and get people in our churches so that they can hear this story and and relate to uh, people in that congregation. I was lost and now I'm found. That's the story. And Jesus's resurrection completes that story in the heart of all humanity. And it's an awesome story. And and, and it's so true to our struggle and, and people know it, but they don't know how to put words to it. And when we hear the Easter story, we hope that they connect the dots that, hey, this thing that I've been chasing and filling it with whatever, it's Christ. So we want to get them there. And some of that is just peripheral. I know graphics don't really save people. I get that. Videos don't save people, but they move people towards something. And we want to move people towards a relationship with Christ. And so if you're not ready for that yet in the graphic department or video department, uh, get this download. It can help you out. Also, I, w- I want to talk a- real quick about a new thing that we've just launched. Um, I have a new Instagram account for the Seminary of Hard Knocks, and I'm really excited about it. I'm doubling down on Instagram. I'm going to do a lot of our um, marketing and a lot of our tips and a lot of our stuff that we uh, content that I put out is going to be through that Instagram account. And uh, right now we're organizing strategy and kind of getting it ready to go and kind of soft launching it. But you can go ahead and like it. Go ahead and follow and and start seeing some of the things we posted, some of the things that's out there. It's kind of an idea of what's to come. But we're ramping up a really cool set of content for that channel alone. Uh, it might We might share some things to Facebook, but the bulk of it is going to be right there on Instagram, and it's going to be a way for you to connect with me and this podcast and the things that we talk about here, focused on communications, focused on strategy, focused on leadership. These are the things that are important for the modern church to tell this story to a, to a current and modern audience. So, that is an exciting advancement. Go follow The Seminary of Hard Knocks on Instagram. I would love to, to connect with you there and follow you and, and, and just see what your ministry is doing, see what you're involved with. So that's a really cool thing ha- happening right now that we're launching and it's already out there. So go, go get on board with that. So let's talk about first 
uh, impressions or guest connections. And Easter's coming up and you're going to have people in your service that have maybe, maybe not only come to church twice a year, right? Christmas and Easter. So it's important to have a really clear guest connection strategy, a first impression strategy. So let's talk about some of the things that can make that a really successful strategy. Here we go. All right. All right. So talking first impressions and guest connections, this is such an important part of church in America because the people are so sensitive. They see straight through our marketing. I mean, you can, you can have the most clever marketing strategy out there and, and people will see through it because they themselves are, are so uh, aware of what's going on behind the digital st- behind the digital curtain, you know they themselves can market. They can take out a Facebook ad. They can do whatever you do, you know, and they can see the copy how it's written to make it make it seem like this is something you want. They get that they've been marketed to uh, over and over. Especially millennials, man. Nobody gets marketed to more than millennials because everyone's trying to figure them out, and everybody's trying to get them on board with whatever brand they've got. And that's that's the life of your church. And that's all that, all that stuff. And that's such a huge group of people. And so, and very different and diverse within that group. So you're, you're seeing people kind of hear your message and go, who cares? And the reason they don't care is because hey, I've seen it all before. So we have a, a, a really important task in our guest connections, because if they do happen to connect with our church in some way, then we want to make sure that it's a good connection and that it inspires them to keep connecting at a deeper and deeper level into our church. Because we believe, most of our churches believe that that the farther you go into the church, the more you should grow, come to know Jesus, experience biblical community, all those great things. So here's a stat that I want to tell you about because it's scary, but it's also something that we should base our guest connections experiences on. And and when I say guest connections, I'm going to tell you what I mean. There's a broad category, but first you need to know this, that when a person shows up at your church, you have about 10 minutes, 10 minutes to convince them that they should come back. They're going to make their decision on the average within 10 minutes of whether or not they're going to come back to this church. You think about what can they possibly see in 10 minutes? Well, think about it. First of all, they've already probably seen your social media or your website. So that's got to be on point. That's the front door. That's got to be great. But what do they see within 10 minutes of arriving? They don't see your sanctuary. They see your parking lot. They see your church building from the street. The outside are their signs. I mean, they're seeing that kind of stuff. And if that's not part of your guest connection strategy or thinking, then you might have started a little too far down the road from where people are actually starting when they show up at your church. So guest connections is a huge, vast amount of things to think about, which is why I think every church should have someone dedicated to this full-time, maybe not paid full-time. If you can't afford it, I think you should pay them full-time because it is such a valuable thing. But if you can't afford that, then someone that is some paying attention, that's in charge of it, that can think about all these things and kind of think about it freely because it's a fast moving thing that they need to be able to make some decisions on. So they need some authority. They need some backing. They need a little bit of budget and they need somebody to say, Hey, here's what we're going to do, uh, up at the front. So let's talk about a good first impressions strategy. Now, first of all, I think any church that wants to do this well has to think about their funnel. 
Now, when we talk about funnels, we're talking about how does a, thinking of it as a V kind of pointing down, a, a typical funnel is, you know, we start broad and we go specific, right? So we, how do we get someone from, I'm casual in connecting with this church to something that I'm very involved and I'm actually a champion of the vision of this church? How do we move them from casual to champion of the vision? And I think every church needs to have a strategy. Think about your programs. Think about your touch points. Think about what a person goes through when they show up at your church. What's the first thing that they experience when they experience your church? Well, most of us, it's probably should be our website. Uh, some people experience social media. I think the, the jury's still out. It's probably they'll connect with some kind of maybe Facebook ad first. Depends on how, how you're working on that. So if you've got Facebook ads and active social media, that might be social media first. And then they're going to connect with your website because they're going to find out, okay, who's this person on social? Uh, who is this organization on social that's doing you know this stuff that I keep seeing that I like or that I'm engaging with or I'm interested in? And they're going to go, okay, well, let me check this church out. Let me find out that website. Then they're going to go to the website. And on the website, they're going to decide real quick if you're a church for them or not. They're going to, they're looking for people. They are looking for service times. If that's convenient, they're looking for when you meet, where you are. Is that a long drive? Is that a short drive? Do I know anybody that might go to this church? Who told me about this place? Is this a, uh, is this a church that looks like it's for people my age or in my life stage? I mean, they're trying to decide all that based on pictures basically from your website. And if your website is all text, they ain't reading it, bro. They're just not going to read it. They may read some things, little blurbs, two, three lines here and there, a headline, but they are not reading your your freaking dissertation about where you, what your history is on your church page, your church history. They could care less. So they're not looking at that. Your members might love that, but new people, new guests could care less. They might want to know like a little bit about you if they're an studious person, but typically they don't. Uh, and, and just the Google analytics on most websites you can look at and say, man, yeah, they just never hit our history page ever. So looking at that, they're going to the website. What are they looking for? Looking for, is this a place for me? That's the question that the website answers. And the second question the website answers is not only is this a place for me, but is it convenient or something I can, uh, uh, not convenient, that's the wrong word. Is this a place that I can connect with or engage with easily? And we want it to be easy because it makes it likely that they will do that in person. We want it to be likely that they will show up. So part of your first impression strategy happens before they even show up. And that's a huge shift in thinking from several, from hundreds of years of church going. So as we shift in our culture and we shift in how we think about guest connections, that has to be f part of, of your first impression strategy. At my church, I work very closely with our guest connections director, Kim, because I see guest connections as part of my role as well. It's passive, but she's the champion of it. She's paid. She's full-time. She's in charge. She makes the decisions. But all, but I also know that I'm making a first impression. I'm making connections through social media. That's my job. So my social media and the website, I know I'm connecting with new people through ads or content that gets shared, whatever. So I know I'm working in tandem with her. And so it's really a good system. It's a good, it's a, it's doing really well so far, honestly. Uh, I'm really excited about our church and what, you know, the strides we're making in that area as well. Uh, and, and Kim's awesome. She does a great job. So it's easy for me to step in and just worry about my thing and help her, you know, and she helps me. So it's cool, but it's part of our strategy and we see it that way. That's important. So let's get to the parts where most of us kind of live. And that is when someone shows up to the church, 
So once a person shows up to the church, the first 10 minutes of that experience is when they're going to decide. Now, if they've seen the online presence, if they've seen the social and they've seen the web already, they've already kind of got an idea. But whatever that decision was, whatever that impression was that that side of it left, they still decided to get up on a Sunday or Saturday night, whenever you meet, and come to your church and check it out in person. So you've got that going for you. That's a positive thing. However, that does not mean they're all in already. Okay, it means that they're either they saw something they didn't really like, but they'll check it out anyway. It could mean I'm not really wanting to go. My wife wants to go or my husband or their husband, her husband wants to go or we really think it's good for the kids. And we just found this church. Let's go anyway and check it out. I don't really like what I saw, but it's close. I mean, there's a lot of reasons they could be there and it's still not be like a we're set up for success kind of situation. So we still got to be on our A game. Now, they could be there and going, man, we can't wait to be here. This looks great. And, and that's the ideal situation. If your social media and your web are doing a great job, hopefully that's what's connecting. Because and, and that doesn't connect with everybody. I'm not I'm not saying that it does. But if it connects with them and they, sh- they show up, then hopefully that's what's happened. So if they show up and within 10 minutes they're making a decision. Most of you have a parking lot that when you park, it takes at least five to eight minutes to walk from your car to the church. That's the bulk of the time. The most of the time on their impressions of whether or not I'm coming to this church are based on walking up to the church. That's insanity, but that's where we are. And so we have to think about our parking lot. Is there signage? Is there something, uh, someone there helping them or kind of walking around to greet them before they get to the building outside? That's such a good touch point to be outside the building and not wait for you to come in. Uh, is there signage, you know, things that tell me where to park, where do visitors park, where do nursing, uh, nursing moms, where do uh, new moms uh, with babies park, uh, where do senior citizens park, are there designated areas for that, are there, is there a handicapped area for people that with disabilities that they can come in uh, and uh, with a wheelchair ramp or something like that, signage that tells me where it is, I got a student, where's the youth building, where's the children's wing, and especially once you get inside, where's the children area, uh, and that kind of stuff helps people Uh, to have an easy experience. And that's what we want. We want it to be easy because easy often equals likely that they will come back. Uh, At least you don't want to put up barriers. At least, at the very least, it keeps barriers from forming for them to come back. So we have parking lot attendants. We have greeters out there. So parking lot is important. And then the first thing is, where is the entrance? That's the first thing they want to know. Where do I go into this building? Uh, I, I worked at a church and we went through this big rebrand. And one of the biggest questions that we all have, and we all agreed on it, was our building is super hidden by this giant tree and we need to cut the tree down. But the issue with the tree was not only can you not see the building from the road, but nobody knows where the building door is. Nobody knows where to come into the building. And so when the guest shows up, Sure, we may have guest parking up front, but we didn't have any signs. We didn't have anything telling them. Now they've fixed all that. It's great. It looks awesome. However, uh, it's Dallas Bible Church. It's awesome. Uh, set setup they did. They repainted the building and it looks cut down the tree. It looks awesome. So now they can go in and see the, the front entrance. So you walk into the entrance and questions answered. So we're smooth, right? We're good. Your guest strategy then needs to think about what's the first thing they're going to see or experience when they walk in the lobby. Is it a greeter? 
Is it somebody who shakes their hand, says good morning? Is it a friendly face? Is it a face that looks like them or that looks like what they expected? Uh, that's important too, because sometimes you get these stock photos of these young families on, on your website and you walk into the church and everybody's over 65. Nothing wrong with that, but people who walk in who are like 30 and 35 and, and they're expecting these young families to connect with and then there's nobody there like that. They feel lied to and you've just lost me. Same thing will happen if there's pictures of, you know, a family, you know, uh, who uh, of older couples or young or sorry, young couples on the website and an older couple comes in and wants to connect. You know, I think uh, my friend Adam uh, McLaughlin from Church Marketing Ideas mentioned, and I'll put him in the show notes, too. He has a great uh, ebook on this, and I think this is his example What it, for older people to come in and say, I want to connect with people my age, but here's all these uh, and, and here's all these families and stuff on the, on the front that maybe look elderly or whatever, but here's this young church. I don't know why you do that, but your pictures and everything convey a message. And as soon as you walk in, what basically what you've experienced outside the church on the web, on the, on social media, in the parking lot, you want that to match what you experience when you first walk in the lobby. It all just needs to be the same connected uh, so you go from the parking lot to the lobby, you want somebody greeting, and then you walk into the worship center. First of all, where's the children's area? Second, where's the worship center? How do I get into it? Are there signs to point me in this direction? Are there people to guide me through this? So making this part easy. And I know children's directors get bogged down on Sunday mornings because this is always a difficult thing. This is always so difficult because you need so much information and you need it fast and it's crowded and it's hectic and it's chaotic and you don't have enough volunteers, et cetera, et cetera. So I, my heart goes out to children's ministers. I don't ever want to be one. And if you are one, God bless you, because I think you have one of the hardest jobs in the church and are usually most understaffed and underpaid. So I'm just throwing that out there. Anyway, you go from the parking lot to worship and then you walk into this service and to the sanctuary area, the worship center, whatever they call it. And what happens then? Is it, I'm greeted? Is there an usher there? Does someone help me find a seat? What if I'm late? Because nobody's ever late to church, right? We always show up on time to church and, and we never have to struggle to find a seat, especially after someone's, they've started the service and it's not embarrassing at all. So we definitely don't have to worry about that when our guests come in, right? Right. Yeah. Let's all nod and smile because we know that's the case. We come in late. They trickle in. And especially if you're a guest and you may not know the time or you might have gotten it wrong, you forgot, whatever. We don't want to punish them for being new. We want to make it easy. So stick an usher there. That usher can come in and say, hi, can let me let me find you a seat. It helps too from the front if the pastor can get on board with this and say, all right, guys. Hey, you know, we've got visitors coming in. It's a great problem to have. Just when you come in and, and sit down, please sit close to the middle, close to the front. Let's make some of these seats available, whatever you want to do, but make sure the pastor is conveying this issue as well so that the congregation can prepare for it. And, and hopefully what that will do, well, that'll keep, you know, great aunt Myrtle from biting some visitors head off or sitting in her seat, which has happened before. Uh, I could tell you this quick story. Okay, we had this guy in our church, one of the churches I worked at, and uh, let's call him Tom. That's not his real name. Let's call him Tom. Tom had been sitting in the same seat for a long time, and our new administrative assistant, who had just joined the church like three months ago and was getting a job with us, had just started. Nobody knew who she was. She comes in, sits down, and Tom shows up, and she's sitting in his seat. And, she, and Tom starts to look at her and go, hey, you're in my seat. That's where I sit every Sunday. That's my seat. 
and so makes her get up. He has no idea who she is. And when we found out that's what happened, our, our pastor and our executive pastor went to Tom and were like, bro, not okay. And Tom didn't care. You know, it's like one of those things like, are you serious? How do you not get this? That that's a serious problem. So you might have that situation, but if your pastor can convey like, hey, as a group, we're going to be like this with our visitors, maybe that can put some peer pressure in a positive way on some of that kind of issue in your church. So big churches, small churches, it might work. Who knows? Worth a shot, right? Because we don't want Toms messing with people that are visiting our church and being, being a butthead. That's what he was. He was an old man, and I liked the guy, but he was a butthead for that. So we had to call it what, what it was. So now they've got him in worship. What's next in your funnel? Remember, we're taking people from broad outside the church into the church. So now we've got them in the worship service. We've gone from casual social media website to we actually showed up to now we're in worship. All right, that's pretty general and broad still. What's your next step? Maybe you're a church that's really big on small groups. Uh, maybe you have four or five different versions of small groups and you have them ranked. I don't know. But small groups might be the next thing. And then I would suggest, how do you go from small groups into service? You know, someone who's not only just soaking up Bible knowledge and information or things or getting from the church, how do you get people motivated to start giving back. A lot of people use their small groups to help motivate to to serve with mission trips and things like that. So your church can come up, but what is your funnel? That's why I, I don't have all the answers for your place, but you need to figure that out. What's your funnel? What's next? Service. And then eventually we want people practicing evangelism, right? That's what that's that's the outpouring of discipleship. If you truly are a disciple of Christ, you become an evangelist in some way, some fashion, in your context, in your the way you're wired. But you're seeking out ways to share the gospel. That's the end goal, right? That's what we want out of a disciple, someone who loves God, who, who loves Jesus, who believes, who, who studies and follows him and, and really wants to live like Jesus lived. And so how are you creating a person? Well, that's, that's part of your strategy. And first impressions sets people up to get to that point. And that's why it's so important because without the first half of first impressions, which is website, social lobby, parking lot, lobby, and uh, children's area, worship center, you don't ever get to small groups and uh, service projects and mission trips and evangelism and teaching and classes, et cetera, et cetera, volunteering. You don't get to that because a lot of, well, and you might, I don't want to throw that disclaimer out. You might. Somebody's just determined to be in in the church. They they can be, obviously. But someone who's a fringe person that maybe just kind of checking things out, they could easily be turned off by this. And we know how fragile people are today, right? We're easily offended. We're easily put off. And, and that goes for every age group. We just are. It's a cultural thing now. And so we are so easy to put away and put off. So don't put an unnecessary barriers in front of people. So that's your funnel. And I know I talked quite a bit about a funnel, and I think it's important to understand how a person goes from the next thing, from one thing to the next thing. And so in that funnel, there's like five or six support, clarity, vision points that I want to make. I don't know what to call these, but things you need to think about that you need that to be clear when you're thinking about each section, each one of these areas of touch points. Identify your funnel that helps identify your touch points when somebody's coming in, like it's here's a checkpoint or a milestone of when someone's coming in to the church to move them from fringe, outside, broad to deep, involved and evangelistic, right? That's the goal. So in your strategy, 
there's some things I think you need to be thinking about to get it clear, to have a clear first impression strategy. Here it is. First, you need a clear coordinator of volunteers and teams. Who is in charge of the greeters? Who is in charge of the ushers? And who's the one that's going to go to them and say, hey, you know, Bob, please don't, you know, stand at the back and talk to, you know, Tom about this person in your seat when there's other guests coming in and they don't have a place they can sit. Go help them find a seat. Who's that person that's not going to be you, the pastor, that's going to be the lay leader or even a paid, a paid person on staff that's going to go to these volunteers and say, here's what we're going to do. Here's how you're going to do this. Who's going to lead this thing? And I think there needs to be a one person point leadership over each of these areas. Parking lot, website, social media, when it comes to uh, ushers, greeters, small groups, who is that person that a new person can go to and say, or a person who wants to volunteer can go to and say, I want to volunteer. Who is it? You need to know that person. And it doesn't need to be the same person for everything because these are all really, really broad things. So maybe one or two, but, but someone just know who the clear coordinator of volunteers and teams are. Second, you need a clear vision for every stage that they go through. What is the goal? What is it supposed to be like? And convey that to your leader so they can convey that to the other volunteers. Uh, vision is more than just knowing how to do it. Vision is what do we want to see accomplished? What is the end goal? What do we want to, what do we want this to, to uh, be like when someone comes in? Put yourself in their shoes. It's casting that vision of what experience do you want the guests to have when they show up? What experience do you want regular people to have when they show up? I want it to be friendly. I want it to be personable. I want it to be kind. I want to smile, you know, things like that. So that leads me into number three easily. You need a clear best practices list for every stage. What are the best ways to do parking? Come up with that as a team. There's no right or wrong way to really do that, but there are some things that you should do that are pretty universal, like be kind and attitude type stuff like that. Where you put the cars, that's totally up to you. That's your spot. You know you know your lot better than anybody else. So best practices for every stage. You need a clear coordinator, a clear vision for every stage, a clear best practices list, and fourth, you need a clear call to action for every stage. Now this is website talk, call to action, it's marketing talk, but here's what I mean. At every stage, every person on that team needs to know what the goal is to get the new person to the next stage. What's the next stage? If I'm in the parking lot, where do I want to make sure visitors get to? I want to make sure they get to a greeter. If I'm a greeter, I want to make sure they get to the children's ministry. If they're I'm the children's ministry volunteer coordinator or I'm the first impressions of children's, I want to make sure those kids get to their classrooms. And then I want to make sure the parents get to the worship service. And if they're in the worship service, I want to make sure they get to a small group. You know what I'm saying? There's a clear call to action for every stage so that everyone knows if you're here, I know where you came from and I know where you should be going and I'm going to help you get there. Because that way we can all adopt the vision. We can all be part of what's going on and not just one person barking orders at everyone wondering why no one ever listens to them, which is typically your youth pastor. So anyway, fourth, clear call to action. Fifth, you need a clear number of volunteers necessary. There needs to be a, a clear understanding of the manpower necessary. And that is something you convey in the vision. That is something you convey in your strategy. And if you can't get the manpower, then you've got to come up with some other alternative. Uh, sometimes the alternative is don't do it. And I hate that. But there are sometimes there are churches that just can't do it. 
you're like, well, how can we do without guest assimilation? Churches do it. You know what? And maybe it will hurt enough that someone will step up. Don't leave it alone. Obviously, find someone, start working on it, get someone that can take that over. But if you can't do it and do it well, then we've got to figure out something. You've got to figure out some alternative to to pulling out this section of, of the touch points, pulling out some kind of vision here. You need to know who, how many people you need, and then you need to go go to work recruiting them. Uh, this is this is huge, and, the, and your pastor can help a lot with this, especially if the pastor is serving in, in uh, sorry, not serving, but speaking on volunteerism or um, the vision of the church and doing a whole series on that. That definitely can play into here's how you need to help people come in making it likely that they will dig deeper into our, our, our church. So that's the fifth one, clear number of volunteers need manpower. And then last, and probably most important, a clear follow-up plan. You've got the info. What are you going to do with it next? Are you going to go door to door? I don't think you should, but some people still do and it might work. So it's totally in your context. Um, if you come to my door, I'm probably not going to answer it. <laughs> I'm just saying, I may look, even look out the window at you, make eye contact, close the window, and then not open the door. I, I'm just kind of like that. I'm sorry. That's kind of mean. I know that it is. I'm, it's late and I'm tired. But if you don't have a follow-up plan, then all of this will mean really very little. Because if there's no one connecting with them, whether it's an email, a handwritten note is always great. Uh, thanks for visiting with us. Doesn't have to be anything huge. Form letters. I used to do this combo of a form letter that had all the info, and then I left space in the form letter, which is like a typed up letter. I left space for me to write a handwritten note on the form letter and that was from me. So I kind of got both because I, I didn't want to write the same stuff. Hey, we have services at this time, this time. I hope to see you here. Here's our website. Here's all this stuff. I'm like, let's just print that because that's technical info. And I don't need to keep re- repeating myself in my hand. I, I just, by the way, my handwriting is abysmal. <laughs> I guarantee if I wrote something down, nobody's going to be able to understand it anyway. So I typed all the important stuff up. And then if they can read it, here's a handwritten note from Seth. Oh, that's pretty cool. I can't read what he said, but it's nice that he tried, right? So it's a fourth grader's chicken scratch. So, uh, you know, I, I can read his name. I know who it is. That's cool. That's what I wanted, right? So some kind of contact. What's your follow-up plan? Uh, I know at one church, we used to have a Google Doc that we shared. We'd enter information manually, and then everyone shared that document, and they and we'd assign. We had like three or four people that would follow up after us that were volunteers. They would call, and they would call this their list. we divide the list up, so maybe three or four people each. So it wasn't taxing at all. And they would call. They were real friendly. They were very hospitable, uh, hospitality-gifted kind of people. And they say, hi, I'm so-and-so from the church and would love for you to guys, you guys to connect with us. And they just kind of be real friendly with uh, our visitors on the phone, typically is how they do it, or they'd leave a message. And, if, and then they'd write down what happened. I called them on this date at this time, and I left this message, and I invited them to this. And that's it. Then when we can look back and go, okay, well, they got contacted. So if they come back and they call the church and like, hey, yes, uh, you know, Patty called me. We're like, who's Patty? Well, we know who Patty is. We asked Patty to call you, you know, so they're, oh, yeah, Patty. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, I know she was sad. She missed you. And so we're a connected family that way. And we're portraying this idea that we know what's going on in our church. That conveys a lot to a visitor. These people know what they're doing. These people are not just, you know, 
making this up as they go along. And a lot of us are, I get it. And because we have to, or because that's just where we are, that we've got to stop, let the busyness just kind of brush by us so that we can structure this ministry so that all the other ministries can grow around it. If we don't have structure, it's like putting up a building without scaffolding. You put the scaffolding up so that you can kind of work on the building and get the building right. Well, once the building's up, then you can take the scaffolding down and the building runs on its own, right? And we want to build a building. So sometimes you have to put up this ugly scaffolding. Well, that means cutting a program or stop doing something you normally do just so that you can have the time and the bandwidth to address the fact that when visitors come to your church, they don't come back. That's a problem. If the church truly is the hope of the world, we carry the message of the hope of the world, that is, of Jesus, then we ought to make sure that it's super easy and likely that people connect with us and stay and come back. That's the goal. That's what we want. So you want to make sure you have a clear coordinator, clear vision for every stage, clear best practices for every stage, a clear call to action for every stage, a clear number of volunteers or logistical plan really is what that is, a clear follow-up plan. And here's why. I mentioned at the top of the podcast, Easter is a coming. Sunday's coming, right? And you know what? So are the visitors. There are going to be people that come from out of town. They're just visiting with their family. Don't treat them like they're not important visitors. They're visiting. They're, they might not go to church ever. And they're coming with grandma because that's what we do on Easter. You've got people coming in from all over town who, who want to come in on Sunday, just Easter and Christmas, and kind of check the box, Right? What are you doing in your service to reach them? And if you're connecting the gospel uh, to these people, you want to make sure that you've done everything you can to ensure that they will stay connected to a group of people that are going to encourage them to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to seek Jesus. And when we do that, we're fulfilling the Great Commission. Here, I mean, I, mean, I want you to hear that. The guest connection section of your ministry is part of the Great Commission. It's an important part of the Great Commission. As the church functions here on American soil, we've got to be good at connecting people to a body of believers. Community is the way that theology was always done. It's the way spiritual gifts operate. It is the way that Jesus taught his people in community. It was this, community is it, right? It's how we grow. It's how we learn. It's how we become more Christ-like. We if you've met Christians who never go to church, but read their Bible every day, you talk to them for a while. And, and I promise you, and I know I'm going to ruffle feathers, but I don't care because it's true. You're going you're gonna to talk to them for a while and you're going to find out there's some really strange theologies coming out of this person. They've connected some dots that don't really go together. And why is that? Because there's nobody around going, you know, I've never heard that before, or that's pretty stupid. Don't say that, but there, there's nobody around saying, you know, Let's ask Pastor, you know, Pastor Donald, what do you think? And he, having biblically been, tra- been biblically trained or whatever, can come in and go, well, you know, the Hebrew there is blah, blah, blah. You know, nobody's going to care about that, but they're going to understand that he knows what he's talking about. There's no authoritative course correction there. And we can say, well, the Holy Spirit corrects us. Well, sure, sure, he does. He, he guides us and he leads us to truth. But how do you know when you're listening? Because sometimes you can be listening to the things you just want to hear, and there's nobody there to check it against. The Holy Spirit always works in community, and that's why we want to get people working in community together to reach out to the lost, to bring them into that community. Community is such a huge thing, and I could go on and on. The Holy Spirit gives gifts in community, and He leads us to truth through community. Uh, Not to say that He can't do anything on His own. 
I mean, totally can. Uh, he's, he's God. But the, but the typical way we see him operating in, in the world today is through groups of people, uh, through community groups, through Christian uh, two or three are gathered in his name and there he shall be, that kind of thing. And, and that's what we can bank on. So at Easter, a long way around to say this, connecting people to your church is part of the Great Commission. The reason is because, yes, they're going to hear the gospel, but they may reject it. Uh, I heard a stat somewhere, and I'm totally pulling this out of the air, so feel free to fact check me in the quotes, in the uh, in the quotes, in the comments. Uh, but it's about an average of seven times someone has to hear the gospel before they're ready to accept it. An average of seven times. Um, that may, that number may be less or more. I'm not sure, but I've heard that, and that makes sense to me. So I'm going to go with it. That it takes an average of more than once to hear something before you're kind of willing to accept it. So you want to make sure that people come to your church. That might be the first time they've heard the gospel in a long time. It might be the fourth time that they've been really challenged with the gospel. And sure, they've heard the gospel a million times, but really challenged with the gospel. We want to make sure that there's some kind of like catch, some not catch, but safety net to that. They don't just drift away and we never see them again. You know, we want to stay connected with these people. So at Easter, you have an incredible opportunity uh, and to, to reach those that do not know Christ. And why is that important? Obviously, it's important because it's literally a life or death situation. It is literally a life or death situation for their soul, for their well-being here on earth, for a relationship with God, for, a, for an eternity that is either separated from, from God or with God. And we know if you're a believer out there, you know what the difference is and why it's important. So guest connections are where a lot of that starts. Easter is coming. Sunday is coming. It may only be Friday, but Sunday's coming. I love that. I hope that you're prepared. I hope you've got a guest connections strategy in place. And if you don't have one and you feel like, man, there's no way I'm going to get that done in time. Just start with one thing. Start with one thing that you can do better. And make that something, a priority for Easter. And I would say, if you don't have a follow-up, start there. Follow up. Make sure the follow-up and collection of info is solid. Because even if everything else falls apart, you can always talk to somebody and talk them off the ledge later. You know, so at least you've got that. Then I would say, work on your inside the service. Work on the uh, the ushers doing their job well and the, and the greeters. Uh, that's an important thing. And then I would say, go outside to social. Make sure your social media and your website are inviting and have the info that is necessary for a volunteer, for, no, volunteer, a visitor to make a good decision about whether or not they should come. Uh, it's like, kind of like with sales. You know, sometimes people are not going to fit in at that church. You want them to know that. Like, I, I hate to say it that way because that's so cold and like markety. But the, but the truth is, that like in sales, it's like you pre-qualify somebody for a sales pitch, right? You know, if like this is a person that could be ready to buy. And, and it's kind of the same thing with your church. It's, it's different, but it's a little like that in that you go, okay, well, here's a church where we're trying to reach this group and we're trying to be this kind of style. And we're trying to, well, we know types of people that are not going to really dig that, you know? So it's cool. They come to our website. They see, oh, this isn't a church for me. Cool. Good. That's great. Find one that is. So we want people to be able to make good decisions, not just everybody to come in, everybody to come in. Uh, we hope that other churches are fulfilling all those different versions and gaps. And I think that's beautiful. That's part of the mosaic of being a part of the church. Big C church, as we sometimes say annoyingly. So anyway, get your guest connections program in order because 
Easter is coming around the bend. So if you have to start somewhere, start with the follow-up, then go to the service, and then go outside to your social and your web. All right, so that is the steps that I had and some of the insights I might have for uh, a guest connections um, strategy that can help visitors connect and go deeper down into your your church uh, to hopefully eventually either grow in Christ or connect with Christ for the first time. Thank you guys so much for listening. Next week we'll be back, and uh, I'm excited about that, of course, because I'm excited about everything. I'm excited all the time. Uh, So you guys, go check out the show notes at sethmuse.com slash 23, and I will see you back here next week. Thanks for listening. See ya.